0: Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good night. And Lord, we're grateful for our time together, thankful for this evening and this opportunity to open the word and study. Lord, I pray that you would uh, lead us and guide us. Father, we pray for uh, the blessed Holy Spirit uh, to be uh, evident, Father, to have liberty to move among us to teach. Father, I pray that you would just guide us and direct us as we seek uh, to understand more of the word. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be uh, finishing uh, chapter one and looking into chapter two in this next section. I don't believe we'll get it all covered tonight, uh, but we're going to read from chapter one, verse 13 through chapter two, verse three, and then begin uh, in that area. So just follow along with me as we read. Uh, The Bible says in verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because... It is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call upon the Father, excuse me, and if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's works, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your uh, vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But it was with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls and observing excuse me obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of grass the grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which the gospel, which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes, desiring the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be that ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. struggling with my voice tonight, so forgive me. Uh, These uh, verses all go together. We are looking at or considering the conduct of the begotten again, the conduct of the born again, the conduct of the saved. The apostle Peter in chapter one, having introduced uh, himself and his congregation and congregation and having shared their credentials as uh, as well as providing a look into the character of the new birth begins here in verse 13 and he is considering conduct the conduct of those born again this passage lends itself to instruction in Christian living as does much of first and second peter if you were to I don't recommend this, by the way. Uh, If you were to Google search this passage, the sermon titles that you would see uh, covering this passage uh, would reference living holy, uh, practicing holiness, living a resurrection life, living a new life, uh, how to walk in dark times, uh, giving yourself to God, living as an exile, Uh, These are the types of topics that are dealt with in this passage. It is speaking to our conduct, how we carry ourselves, we who are born again and to what end uh, we would carry ourselves. We'll see several in this passage edifications and exhortations uh, to, uh, to action. In fact, Verses 13 through 16 are just that, in my opinion. They are a call to action. If you'll notice in the verses that we read, there are uh, many action words uh, that we see and imperatives and verbs all throughout the passage. For example, we're instructed to be prepared, we're instructed to be sober, Uh, we're instructed to be hopeful, we're instructed to be obedient. We're instructed to be holy. We're instructed to be working. We're instructed to be loving. We're instructed to be desiring. And we're instructed to be growing. All of that's contained in what we just read. And each of those have an action associated with them. In my opinion, it is a humble opinion if that helps. In my opinion, one of the, the most prominent issues in the church of today is that by and large, we are lazy. And I, I said we, and so I meant we, uh, but we're lazy. Uh, as would be compared to Christians of the past, we're sorry. Just be quite honest with you. Uh we're not busy doing or being or loving or growing. We're just kind of we're just kind of here. We, we might be busy in our professional life if, if we're not ministry, uh, even if we are ministry, that there's two different sides of that coin. We might be busy in our professional life, we might be busy in, in our, our home life, our families are running our kids to and fro and, and, and developing the, the lawns and the gardens and all those things. But what happens is we become so busy in so many other areas and those areas are traps and sponges. They trap us uh, into doing things that are sponges that draw away our energy from the things we should be doing. And uh, it's very prominent. A number of folks have been led to believe that since you are uh, not saved by works, then works are not valuable. Uh, and to an extreme, works may even be sinful in some uh, folks' understandings or in their, their rationalization. So we should not be working. We should not be anything. But, but of course, that's erroneous because we're left to, to occupy. Uh, that word, occupy until he comes, I mean, that's, that we read that in, in some of the, the parables, uh, but we, we also comprehend that's how we've been left here as stewards of a vineyard or however you want to uh, picture that. And, and so we're to be busy about the Father's work. That's what occupy means. And, and we have this this idea in the church that that we don't we don't work we don't need to work works don't matter and it is it's it's kind of uh what we were speaking about a little bit on Sunday night in our group when you uh when you when you are driven to retract or recoil from the charismata because you don't want to be associated with the charismatic movement if you're not careful the pendulum will swing all the way to the other end and suddenly you're a dead Baptist church. And, and then you have this same picture of those people who are, they're striving to earn their salvation. And we would recoil from that. But we end up with this mindset of, I don't have to do anything. And literally, if we want to talk about literal definitions, you don't have to do anything, but you ought to be drawn to do something. It's a, it's a love relationship. And, and so... Uh, It, the, 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 when correctly understood uh, this idea of no work is just simply another lie of the flesh. I I was thinking as I was putting this introduction together today, can you imagine uh, the results of an individual who worked as diligently at growth in the grace and knowledge of our savior as they did it in their career? Someone who, uh, if you don't want to think about career, uh, maybe that's too close to home. Uh, what about someone who is so uh, uh, concerned and involved in their investments that, that they know everything there is to know about the stocks exchange and, and Wall Street and, and mutuals. And, and they just, they're just a wealth of knowledge in that area because that's something that is really important to them and they've invested a lot of energy in that area or maybe it's someone who is who is focused on retirement and and all they think about is what is how do I accomplish that retirement and will I be ready for retirement or maybe it's some other hobby like a golf game or um you know if it were going to be me and 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 time allotted and money was there, it'd be a car. I mean, I could get caught in that trap in a hurry. And just because you have one, don't mean you're caught in the trap, but I'm telling you, it can turn into a trap. And and so these hobbies that would come up. And, and so when, when you, when you think about what would, what could result in the church, if, if the born again believers who claim salvation uh, would, would invest that diligently in their Christian growth, as they do the other growths in their life. It becomes a pretty stark picture. I would say this, uh, seeing what I've seen uh, in church and in the ministry for the last uh, 17 years, I believe it would be overwhelming. I believe it would be shocking. This is why I believe that. It's because I've witnessed And I'm confident uh, that, that Doc has as well and Brother Scott. I've witnessed an individual here and there that does. And they become an epicenter in the church. If we're being honest, and this is not arrogant, this is being honest, I made that transition in my life at about 31 years old. And I went from knowing hardly anything outside of I was a Baptist. And I couldn't have told you why. Probably had something to do with John. I went from that to in a period of about two years, I didn't want to do nothing but teach and preach the word of God. Everybody can't do that. That's not the point. The point is what would happen if we invested ourselves fully and, and I think that's what Peter is pointing at here. We, we see the, the commands or the call to action and we see the word uh, to begin with, wherefore in verse 13, wherefore, gird up. Uh, that, that in your scriptures may say, therefore, uh, same same idea. And, and what it is is a connecting word that links what we've already studied to what we're about to read. And in short, uh, since this is what it says, since we have... A salvation that is complete with a father, with a fruit, with a faith, a savior who is our focus, a promise of the future, a history that's been told or foretold to look back on, we should, and then he begins to list these activities, All right? Because of, because of what we've understood so far about our salvation, we should, and the very first thing he says is, gird up the loins of your mind. That's not common uh, phraseology for today. I realize that, but we've all heard it enough, uh, surely in Bible study to understand what it is. And so, so we would we would quite simply think of gird up. We would think of a long garment. Uh, and so, when they got ready to move, they would take that garment and tuck it into the girdle or the the bloomers or the underwear portion, so that it would be up and out of the way, so they could move freely because I don't know about you, but in a floor-length gown, I'm a little cumbersome. And so I need to get it out of the way. And so they would tuck that in so they could make their moves. Well, that's basically what Peter is saying uh, about your mind is to gird it up. To, it's the idea of to brace or to, to bolster for action, to, to tuck in, to, to streamline, to tighten up, uh, or to prepare, to think ahead, to study, to be ready gird up. That's what he's saying. And we should be ready. Uh, basically what he's saying is we ought to be ready for whatever comes our way. Now I want you to think about these things tonight. I'm not in a terrible hurry to get through. I'm okay. If we spend all night on this one idea, I want you to think about this idea of whether or not we are ready for whatever comes our way or have we been ready for everything that comes our way. I'm just going to tell you right now, we haven't been and we're not. I mean, we could just immediately, right off the bat, I could write COVID 19 on the wall and everybody would have to hush. Because if that was the test, every one of us failed it. Churches, maybe more so than others. It's, it's that, that idea, if, if we know, and, and we do by the scriptures, if we know that the world will get worse and worse, it's gonna, it's gonna continue to degrade. And we know that some churches and, and some uh, people who go by the name Christian will apostatize and they will turn from the Lord and from the truth. And, and we know, now these are very simplistic things. These are not hard studies. We know that Satan is a roaring lion seeking to devour. We know that. So so at a very very minimum, those are three or four things that we ought to be well prepared for because we know they are true. Yet yet when when the the socio-political environment Worsens overnight. We gasp. When, when a church. Changes its name. Its mission statement. And its direction. We gossip. When a Christian. Whom, whom we were. Sharing a pew with. Falls and disappears. We, we just can't believe it. Right. Those are all Things. Those things are all antithetical to girding up the loins of your mind. Okay, we ought to be prepared for some of those things. It doesn't mean that we accept them. It doesn't mean that we that we are encouraging them to happen. It just means we know they're going to happen. When a, when a minister fall, falls in sin, the 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 first one that comes to my mind right now is Robbie Zacharias, uh, and and of course he's he's passed on. He's you know, uh, that thing's been made more right than any court case is going to make it at this point. That's a, that's a pretty shocking thing. But is it really? He's powerful. He's, he's wealthy. He's, he's isolated. He's traveling all over the place. We ought to gird up our minds. And that's what Peter says. And so we have to be prepared. I, I want you to think, I thought about this today. I, Pardon the, the terminology because uh, I shared with someone the other day, I'm a, I'm a crazy Jerry Clower fan. So if I say something that sounds out of the way, it's because I heard him say it. Uh, but you, just imagine a, a young man. He would call him a fine specimen. Just, this, this young man is, is big and he's strong and he wants to play football. And he's never played before. Now, if we were going to take that boy, that, that young man, and put him in football, now he, listen, he might be quick off the line, he might have hands like Velcro, he, he, he may have all of these exciting attributes, but if he's never played football, there's a very rude awakening coming if he's not prepared to get hit, right? Right? He go loping across the middle of the field, and some 190-pound linebacker take his head off. Probably hurt his feelings. He wasn't prepared for that, and and so we take these kids and we 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 prepare them and we we make them hit each other. We make them hit dummies and we make them hit the ground, and we make them run all over the place. And and we we try to make we say stuff to them like you got to get mean, and then we get them home and say why are you so mean. And we, we prepare them and practice them and drill them. And we say to them over and over, listen, you're going to get hit. You've got to brace yourself. You have to be prepared to get hit. And then when he gets hit, we say, get up. That wasn't that bad. That didn't hurt. You're fine. You're good. Right? That's what we do. If you haven't done it yet. When your kid comes along, you will. That's what you do. And we do that so he'll believe it wasn't that bad. Well, that's what Peter's saying to the Christian is look, you're gonna get hit. Gird up the loins of your mind. There's gonna be some rough waters. There's gonna be some, there's gonna be some turbulence. There's gonna be some hard times. You're going to get hit. There's gonna be some difficulties. What you ought to do is not be shocked when it happens. You you get prepared. You're warned. You know it's coming. There's an impact. And you won't be caught off guard when it goes. And so you won't want to quit. I think about this idea of, of girding up the loins of your mind. This This idea of tenacity and toughness and preparedness. And and I know I say a lot about this to uh, somebody that didn't know me better would think I don't like American Christians, but the Christians in America are naive. They're they're naive. In fact, uh, I would almost call the Christians in America low-hanging fruit. Because they're easy to get to. Because they're skirting. uh, They're truly skirting religion. Not a relationship. They're skirting religion. And the world. And they have or we I should say have this mindset that. Entitles us. Uh, we think we're due some kind of special treatment. And, and I don't want to harp on this. I'm just telling you that it's right here in this passage. That we, we, we're, we're guarded when it comes to what we would call our rights. Or what is fair. Everybody remember what Theron Boyd said about fair? Fair. That's a place you go to get candy and popcorn. Uh, but we're guarded that way. I once asked our missionary in North Africa. Uh, he was describing the new converts and how that uh, when they converted, their families would, you know, a lot of times shun them or disown them. Or, or if, it was, uh, if it was a girl, uh, they would beat her. And uh, sometimes a wife would get, uh, a female would get uh, saved, be born again, and her husband would beat her. Uh, if they if they work for the wrong person, they might fire them from their job, you know, and, and that was in a civilized portion of the Muslim world. And, and I, I asked uh, him uh, how those new converts responded to family persecution and the difficulty of being a new believer in that environment. And his his answer was so terribly convicting. He said, well, they read the New Testament, so they think it's normal. <laughs> Americans don't. But it is, should be. It, it's that, that picture of, you know, uh, I deserve more, or I'm worth more, or that's not fair, or I have my rights, and, and we'll point to we'll point to the Constitution and we'll name amendments. And those things are all American, and I agree we fought and died for them, and I agree that we ought to fight to keep them, but they're not Christian. They're not promised of God. They're not part of the they're not part of the salvation uh, experiment they're not locked in when you' when you're born again it, it, it's interesting in in our culture many who claim salvation this is what they think when they get saved. they get saved and they believe that all their troubles are going to expire immediately. That's the way it's been presented to them and uh, man you, but listen, man, you get right with the Lord and you won't be sick. You get right with the Lord, you won't be broke. You get right with the Lord, you, your wife will come back. Your dog will come back. The, the repo guy will give you truck back. You get right with the Lord, everything will be fixed. And 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 there's so many that believe that even if it's not implicitly stated, that's what they think is going to happen. The The other aspect of that, and I've, I've noticed this over the last nine or 10 years and took me a while to comprehend what was going on. I still don't completely comprehend it, but it is redundant. Is that there is, there is a moment of of reality where somebody walks into the presence of God. They realize for the first time, maybe in 30 or 40 years of their life, whether they be that old or older, they've, they've come to a realization that, Hey, Hey, there is a God, and 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 I, I remember my grandmama talking about this, and this, there's some reality in what she was talking about, and there's there's a conviction, and there's there's a decision made under conviction, and it's almost like they believe in their mind that they they've arrived and now it's gonna be straight to glory. And then after a year or two years, or sometimes a shorter. Something happens and they revert back to what it was because it must not have been real because right it didn't come to fruition. That's what that's what Peter is talking about. Gird up the loins of your mind. There, people walk into salvation wherein we are promised there's gonna be a process of sanctification. And, and we are told over and over and over again that there's going to be trials and there's going to be difficulties and there are going to be temptations and that those things are a part of God working in our life to mature us and to grow us all the while conforming us to the image of Christ so that so that, that sanctification process will continue. And we're promised that's going to happen and we're completely unprepared for it to go down and so when it starts happening, we bail out because the fire is too hot. Peter said, Gird up the loins of your mind, be prepared. His next statement in verse 13 is, Be sober. And uh, that, of course, uh, doesn't, we're not talking about alcohol here or drunkenness. We're talking about. Uh, clarity we're talking about alertness we're talking about uh uh morally alert circumspect being prudent sober being serious right there's a there's a there's a seriousness to the commitment that i'm making to the lord there's There's a a significance to having a relationship with Christ. There's a significance to growing in grace and knowledge. There's a significance to studying the Word of God, even when I feel like I can't comprehend it. It's it's significant, it's serious, it it means something. I ought to be sober about it. I think there's two aspects here that that bear uh, looking into the, the first is the perspective that we take towards our own actions and behaviors and how these actions affect others and the work of Christ. And, and uh, then there is the perspective of sobriety or seriousness or calmness, uh, being settled, so to speak. The, the first perspective I think is, I think it should be one of the most important Things in a believer's life. I think it is probably one of the least taught aspects of the believer's life. I think it's very difficult for believers to operate in it because it requires a certain level of maturity. Uh, but it is the idea for the believer that uh, the principle of the weaker brother. I think this is involved in being sober. And, and what the principle of the weaker brother uh, says is in, 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 in simplified terms, is that all things are legal for me, but not all things are expedient. So there is nothing, and this is, this is such a dangerous thing, and, and people run to complete extremes with it all the time, but there is nothing that is illegal in God's eyes c- c- pertaining to my salvation for me after I've been born again. So uh, what do you hear these young Christians asking all the time? Well, can I drink? Uh, Can I smoke? Uh, Can I smoke pot? Uh, That's a pretty common one these days because, you know, it's natural, so whatever. Uh, uh, You know, uh, can I do this? Can I do that? That's legalism. And so there's, there's nothing that, that we could say, you cannot, if you do that, your salvation's over immediately. There's nothing. That's liberty. But that li- living in that liberty, free to sin, all I want is not the liberty that, that God had in mind when he gave us liberty. The liberty he gave us was freedom from that sin. And so this is the thing. Can, can I smoke pot and still be a believer? Well, I can. Uh, however, it's going to change my thought process. It's going to manipulate my mind. It is going to uh, change my personality. It's going to do all sorts of things that are not... Good for me in a public realm. It's not healthy for me. And and the most important perspective is while I'm smoking that pot, I may be smoking it with a lost person who sees me smoking the pot with them, and there's no difference now between me and them, and they will bust the gates of hell wide open because that Christian smoked pot with me. They are literally the weaker brother, and I just sentence them. To a double damnation. Now, there's also weaker brethren in the church. They're born again folk. They may be born again 25, 30 years. They just didn't grow. They're weak. There's a phenomenon in the church that we, that we talk about often, and, 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 and you see it in children a lot of times. Sometimes you'll see a kid that looks like they're 12 years old. They're head taller than every other kid in the room. They're 25 pounds heavier. They might have a good vocabulary. They look like they're 12 years old. And then you'll watch them behave. And this is what you'll say. That's the most immature 12-year-old I've ever seen in my life. That youngin' needs to be tore up. He needs to be whooped. She needs to be whooped. They're immature. And then you go to the mama and you say, your child is immature. And they say, well, he's only eight. He looks older than he is. Church is full of Christians just like that. They look older than they are. They're 55, 60, 65-year-old. Born again believer. Been saved since they was 20. They look. They may even have the vocabulary of. A mature Christian. But they're not. They're a weaker brother. And uh, you. The mature brother. Me. The mature brother. Maybe I'm having a bad day. Maybe I just decided I don't want to be the mature brother today. Maybe I say something rude to them or, or, or off color. And I derail them in their belief because they're the weaker brother. And they were looking up to me. And I didn't realize it. That's one perspective of sober. But the other perspective of sober is calmly handling difficulty this last point we're going to pray here in a moment when we were younger so so I graduated uh I left high school the first day of my senior year I was 18 years old I did not go to school my senior year I went to Gwinnett Tech and I got uh went into the automotive service technicians program and by the time I was um, uh, 19, I was a certified master coming out of there with my stuff and a GED. And I was working at a Firestone and then I worked at an independent shop. By the time I was 20, uh, we opened our own shop, me and dad did. He was retired and he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to open a shop. And And we weren't getting along at the time. We hadn't been talking for a couple of years. He said, you willing to work with me? And I said, yes, sir. And so we opened a shop together and uh, we started running uh, that business there, and it went crazy. We had, it's, it's over in Auburn, uh, but we had a Downey's Auto Parts store, and we had six service bays, and this was in the late 80s, early 90s, and you had me. I was 20 years old, and I was running five men out there in the shop, and Dad was doing nothing but staying in the office because he's not computer literate. He's a money man. And I had my other brother Earl on the counter, and I had another guy in there working, and we would just get covered up. We'd have cars lined up out the driveway and customers lined up out the door, and my dad used to uh, always say, he would call on the intercom out in the shop, and when I answered, he'd say, you got to come in here, it's pandemonium. That's what he used to say. He said it so much that we start, we changed the way we said it, we started saying and we start making fun of him. But this is where I'm going with this. During those times, some of the guys in the shop would start running around like their head was on fire. And some of the guys in the service counter would start jumping up and down like they didn't have good sense. But some of the people realized it's just work. And they kill me but they can't eat me. And I'm just going to put my head down and do my job. That's sober. In a Christian life, a lot of times, a believer will get under pressure and they start running around like their head's on fire. And they start jumping up and down like the world's coming to an end. That's not sober. Peter said, you got to have your... your uh, Loins girded in your mind, being prepared for whatever comes and you have to be sober. So that when hard times come, difficult things surface. You're not running to and fro. Paul would say blown about. You're still looking under the Lord, knowing they said this was going to happen. And it's done started happening. So I'm going to hold my water right here. And be sober. I thought we would get further than that tonight. tonight, Having our minds girded. And being sober. We'll look further next week. I would challenge you. To read these few verses. (coughs) Underline those words. Look into the truths associated with them. And ask yourself. Ask yourself. Do you have your mind girded up? Are you prepared for what's coming? Are you sober about accomplishing the work of the Lord? I think it would be pretty amazing if we got a few of us heading in that direction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good night. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies and your grace thank you for your truths. Lord, I pray that you'd strengthen us and bless us. Help us, God, as we seek to serve you. Help us, Lord, to be sober, to be serious, to be right-minded. Lord, I pray you'd bless and strengthen in Jesus' name. Amen.